You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode, we're in the mood for Italian in Fab Facts. We're moving into the art world in The Randomizer. And Chris Thompson gets technical about UFO. Oh, I've heard of him. That's all coming up in Pod 222. Of the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. Hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> it's all gone a bit Bridgerton here. It has, isn't it, my lord? Welcome to the Jerry Bridgerton podcast. No, it's not. It's the Jerry Anson podcast. Oh, yes, that's right. Um, uh, his name over there uh, is... Is Lord Richard of James. Oh, I was going to say Sir Richard James of Woburn Green. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, which Fair sounded enough. quite uh, good. But uh, can I be the, um, the Duke of Rumney? Is that all right? Oh, yes, uh, that suits you, yes. That's very close to where I live, you see, so... Oh, I see, no, that's pretty good, yeah. I, I mean, like I don't it. think Rumney's got any dukes or duchesses, but... Well, it has now. It has now, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and and right. over there... <laughs> oh, yes, yes, go on. Sitting... No, no, you no. You want to. Sitting oh. very peacefully, waiting yeah. until his randomizer yeah. later yeah. on today... Yeah. Uh, ...is... Uh, <laughs> I can't even think of anything. The um, Duke of Dale, surely. Really? No? Mm, not working for you? No, not really. Oh, randomizer. Oh, how about the uh, uh, the Count Chris Dale of Meta? How about that? Oh, right. Is that okay. all right? I mean, I'm putting him yeah. on Alien Planet. You are a bit, yeah. Anyway, basically, right, Chris right. Dale, the randomizer, is going to be here later for the randomizer, where yeah. he randomly yeah. chooses a random Jerry Anson episode and stuff yep. and says some things about it, and they're very funny yeah. and insightful. Yeah, he's, he's nodding. Good. Good. Oh, his, yeah. pat, his wig fell off. Uh, oh, whoops. Also, uh, coming mm. up in this podcast yes. are a few other items. Right. Would you present them as if you were <laughs> oh, greeting guests at <clears throat> an 18th century dinner dance party? <sighs> My lords, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, it gives me the greatest pleasure to introduce your delectation and delight, oh. Fab Facts, followed by the Jerry Anderson Newsy News News News. Also... For your delight and delectation. I've already said that, haven't I? <laughs> it's fine. I can't think of any other words. It's Is it fine. fine? Just carry on. Uh, yeah. We've got uh, we've got, uh, we've got an interview with Chris Thompson coming up. Uh, we've got a randomizer. Uh, we've got some news, 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 news. We've got uh, you know, things from the pods. Even, even, I'm all, all of a flutter now. Uh, you know, pods are on emails and Facebook t- and tweets. And, and, uh, I mean, it's, you know, oh, oh you know, gubbins. It can all be summed up with one word. Imagine gubbins. if this is somebody's first Jerry Anson podcast and they're thinking, oh what God. on earth is going on? Now, yeah, let to me... be fair, why, why would you join it now? Exactly. But if this is your first, let me reassure you, dear listener, now Podstron, that we have a lot of Andersony stuff that you'll likely oh, enjoy yeah. coming up. Yes. I think we saved that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, anyway, we hope you're uh, all having a better day than we are, apparently, Podstron's. 
uh, <laughs> and that you're also not uh, requested to do a roll call in the style of an 18th century um, oh, Lords and Ladies dinner see, dance. Jamie, the thing is, if dear Simon Allen was still with us, you could bet what would be posted on our Facebook group. First yes. thing, on Monday morning. A proper one. Us in our powdered wigs and yes. our frock coats. Oh, Absolutely, with with the proper script <laughs> where you don't just get stuck with delight and delectation, but we have yes. wonderment and uh, adulation yes. and uh, excitement and whatever. Exactly. Anyway, speaking of excitement, I feel like it might yeah. be time for a fun fact. Oh, yes. Yes, that's why we're here. Go on, then. Okay, then here we go into this week's fab fact. Now, time for this week's fab facts. For your delight and delectation, as oh, Richard James would probably go. say, yes, it's fab yes. facts, where I've got a book of fab facts. Uh, I'll flick through it. Richard shouts, fab mm-hmm. in the style yeah. of a ballroom announcer from oh. the 18th century. Please. I stop flicking and then I read you the fab fact uh, in my normal style, which is a sort right. of stumbling from word to word style. That's it. So, yeah. are you ready for a fab and a stumble? Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, here we go. <clears throat> fab! <laughs> How was that? Yeah, you're sacked from that particular oh, welcoming job. Not well, again. The giggle at the end, I think, did it. You like um, yeah. Now, uh... <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear. Oh, well, we're still in the 70s as we were last week, okay, really. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Cusp of. If you yeah. remember, quite a few pods ago, we talked about the UFO compilation movies. Do you remember those? They were used to yes. launch the series in Italy. Uh, that's right, I do remember. Yep. Uh, we spoke about how the success of those films also led to Italian cinema compilations for both The Protectors and for Space 1999, if you remember. Mm-hmm. In fact, the uh, 1999 compilation... Spazio 1999, I should say the 1999 oh, in Italian, but I don't know how I to remember. say that, um, mm-hmm. was recently released on Blu-ray in the UK as part of Network's Super Space Theatre collection. Nice. Well, today we are going back to Italy to look at the involvement of the country's state broadcaster RAI, or RAI, depending on mm-hmm. how you want to say it, uh, with the production Rai, of the think... first... RAI? I think so. Not, not RAI, RAI. You think? I think it's I think it's right, like Rai Uno. Oh, right. How, that's how they, I think that's how they say it, having well, been to Italy a couple of times. Oh, you, you're the expert. I've only been once and I didn't <laughs> oh, watch any telly. So, right, Rai. And, well, they're involved in the production of the first series of Space 1999. Uh-huh. Because as it says in the end credits, the show was a co-production between Group 3 Productions, the three being Dad, Sylvia and Reg Hill, yep. and Rai slash RAI. Mm-hmm. Uh, which meant that a substantial chunk of the show's budget came from Italy. More on that later. Uh, but that money yeah. meant that the Italian investors did hold some creative control over the show itself, as happens when there's a co-funding model, uh, as they did with several other co-productions with ITC from the early 1970s, including the miniseries Jesus of Nazareth and Moses the Lawgiver. Okay. So. Right. If you've seen the UFO to Space 1999 video on our YouTube channel by the Marvelous Chris Dale, then you will know that two of the show's main characters, Sandra and Alan, were meant to be Italian characters played by Italian actors. Obviously that fell through for various reasons, and thankfully we got the much-loved Xenia Merton and Nick Tate instead. Not casting aspersions on the abilities of those Italian actors, they might have been amazing, but Hmm. Xenia and Nick, brilliant. Yeah. However, the Italians still wanted some kind of representation on the show, understandably, makes sense, they put the money in. Now, in some series, when you have money invested from other countries in the production, you might go and film episodes in those countries. 
Yeah. For instance, a later ITC action series, Return of the Saint, which was also co-financed by our Italian friends, uh, filmed plenty of episodes in Italy because the show's format easily allowed that. Okay, now, yes. Obviously, being stuck on the moon meant that Space 1999 wasn't really able to go and shoot in Italy. And that's why in four of the final six episodes of the first season, you have Italian actors parachuted in to play guest Alphans instead. These were... Oh dear, I'm going to have Go to say on. Italian actor names, aren't I? Great. Giancarlo Prete mm-hmm. in The Troubled Spirit, Carla Romanelli in Space Brain, Gianni Garco, or it must uh-huh. be, or is it Jarco, do you think? Probably mm, is Garco. Gianni, Gianni Garco. Yeah. My dogs are very excited here. Uh, in Dragon's <laughs> Domain, yeah. and also Maria Guerini. Guerini, Guerini, in the Testament of Arcadia. Now, I apologise to anyone who actually speaks Italian or is Italian for what just happened there. Mm. Uh, (laughs) I even tried to use the dogs to cover it up, but it didn't work. Uh, The job (laughs) of selecting those actors was Sylvia's, and she made some good choices from a rather limited pool of Italian actors who were A, able to speak English, and B, famous enough to Italian audiences to make them worth hiring. So that is probably Mm. quite a small then crossover. Yes, that's right. Overall, though, these actors did pretty good work, particularly Giancarlo in Troubled Spirit and Gianni Garco in Dragon's Domain, both of which are episodes that rely heavily on their performances, so good job, both of them. Yeah. Uh, it's quite incredible when you consider that some of them were probably facing a bit of a language barrier, particularly also Maria Guarini, who seems to have been almost completely redubbed in Arcadia by legendary voiceover artist Robert Rietti. Ah, wow. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. many names in here for yes. me to get wrong. It's brilliant. Yes. Uh, now, going into the second season, the Rai logo does not appear on the end credits uh, as they weren't involved in the show anymore. We're not aware of Rai being unhappy with the first season as the show was quite a big hit in Italy when it was first shown, so there could be several reasons for them not returning. Maybe there wasn't uh, time to get a deal sorted out. Maybe they didn't like dealing with ITC. Who knows? But yeah. One of the criticisms that's often made against the second season is that it looks a bit cheaper compared to the first. Hmm. Well, that might be because of just how much money that Rye put into the first season but didn't put into the second. We don't have the exact Hmm, details, but it's uh, rumoured to have been about a third of the show's budget, which probably makes makes sense for a co-pro. Yes, yeah, sure. There you go. So the Italian influence, very strong. What? What were those names again, Jamie? Just run them by me one more time, if you would. <laughs> no? I, I don't think I'm no? able to say uh, any more okay. poorly no, attempted no. Italian names. It's not fair on, on anyone, particularly me, but most particularly <laughs> any Italians. The Italians, Sorry. yes, exactly. Uh, now, is it right that, uh, that any producer who puts in a sizable chunk of money to get the show made should have creative input into what appears on the screen in terms of casting, scripting and so on? I'm not sure they necessarily should have. It's often the mm. case that they do. Mm. Um, they sort I, of buy the rights, don't they? To... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get it. But one often, mm. you know, if, if something, if a show is so good that you want to put money in it because you see the potential, mm. then why would you then want to say, yeah, but could you just change it? I mean, you wouldn't, um, it's a bad example for, very, for several reasons, but you wouldn't want to buy Van Gogh's sunflowers mm. and then say, now, now that I've got it, can we just change that bit there? And right. actually, I don't really like sunflowers. Can I not be daisies instead? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like if you like the concept of it or, the, or what you've yes. got so far, then you that's should right. nurture it maybe, but not yeah, that's control right. of it. But equally, right, equally, if you're you know an in- international broadcaster who's putting money in, then the, the home mm. broadcast audience 
will want to see familiar faces. Um, your bosses will say, "Well, where's our stamp on this?" So it's all yeah. it's all very political. But it I, d- is, I don't think it, it appears to have been to the detriment of Space 1999. No, probably only to no. its benefit with that. Uh, uh, with that true budget. enough. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, interesting. There you go. So, hmm. if any Italian fans listening would like to correct my pronunciation, um, please uh, <laughs> uh, send them to podcast at jerryanson.com uh, and I will read them, but not out loud because it'll be too. No. Weird. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Um, I guess that's the end of that one, is it? Has it brought us to the end I of this so. week's... Um, yes, it has. Life fact! Wow! <laughs> nice! I quite like that because it could also be W-R-Y, couldn't it? It could have been a very wry fact. Ooh, yeah, yes. See? Like or it that. could be a, 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 a R-Y-E fact. R-Y-E, a rye fact, <laughs> right. Yes, okay, like rye bread. Exactly. Yes, could have been that. Wow. Good. Uh, now, for more sense, let's turn to oh our listeners, shall we? Please, our we need some. Podstrons, yes, who've been emailing us at podcast at jerryanderson.com. Of course they have. For example, Jackson got in touch to say, hi, Jamie and Richard. Ah, I'm emailing the podcast because I have some thoughts on which sci-fi show I would like to see as a super marination show. This is rumbling on, Jamie, from a previous Fab Fact, oh, where yes, I think I we uh, took a look at a scene from Stargate where they had uh, replaced the cast with marionettes as an homage to uh, Super Marination. Uh, well, Jackson says, personally, I would love to see the original Star Trek as a Super Marination show. The show was, and still is, frequently ridiculed for its basic set designs and cheap props and special effects. This was mostly due to a lack of budget. However, by the time Star Trek was released in 1966, Anderson Productions received generous budgets for their shows, and the Super Marination team had grown into a highly developed and skilled group of people with lots of experience that undoubtedly could have created more impressive sets and props than the ones we got to see in the actual show. Don't get me wrong, says Jackson, I love the original Star Trek. It is in fact my favourite from the Star Trek franchise, and in my opinion, the low-budget quality adds to its charm and uniqueness. That being said, I can't help but wonder how amazing it would have looked had the show been created with a bigger budget. On a completely different note, says Jackson... I also wanted to share that I've recently made a Thunderbirds cosplay. Ever since I started watching Thunderbirds about four and a half years ago, I wanted to have Alan's international rescue uniform, as he's my favourite character. I know, unpopular opinion, uh, and now I finally have one. I cannot wait to wear my uniform to Comic-Con in November. Hopefully, someone will recognise me, and if not, I'll make sure everyone knows who I am at the end of the day. All the best from Jackson. Well, thanks for getting in touch. Jackson, do look out for him in his uh, Alan uh, International Rescue uniform. That sounds rather nice. Yeah, nice. Uh, Well, uh, we hope to see pictures on social media. Exactly. Uh, Peter Adams from North West Lancashire got in touch to say hello to all the staff at the Jerry Anderson podcast. Long time listener, first time emailer here from oh, the Northwest. Welcome. Uh, on your recent, yeah, on your recent fab facts, you requested suggestions for TV shows that should have a super marination sequence and/or episode, and I had several suggestions. First and foremost would be the recent hit series, The Sandman. Ah, oh, that's a Neil Gaiman uh, series, is. I think, uh, that's recently come to one of our streamers I don't know Amazon or Netflix Netflix Uh, right there we are as I feel uh, out of any current TV show it would be the least surprising thing to see Dream and Matthew gadding about chatting with the other puppet Endless another show I think would benefit from a sudden turn to marionettes would be Peacemaker which would fall in line with a very Team America kind of mood Uh, keep up the great work for Peter Adams Hmm. yep good on a similar theme Dodge Morgan says right old boyos Yes. Does he say it like that? How does he spell that? Uh, R-I-G-H-T-O. Okay. Right-O. B-O-Y-O. Yeah, I was just checking to see if there was any further indication of the accent there, but... uh... 
Well, a little later on, he does say yaki da, so, you know, I think oh, I'm in the right... Very yeah, accurate, then. You You're very good at this, uh, aren't you? So, oh, well, on pot... We didn't quite go that far. On pot 220, the fabulous Fab Facts threw up the interesting question of what contemporary series you would like to see in Super Marination. Well, apart from the obvious answer, everything, I think that, although not contemporary, the Lost episode of Doctor Who would be an excellent candidate for being Super Marinated. I know that some of the Lost Doctor episodes have been animated with somewhat limited success, but I think in Super Marination, they would look superb, being very much of a similar time period to Jerry Anderson's shows, it would be a perfect match. And that's Dodge Morgan. Mm. Yeah, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Uh, and finally, here's uh, someone we know well, Mark Simpson Wedge, who says, Hello, gentlemen. Hope all three of you are well. In response to the last fab fact uh, in Pod 220, there's a puppet sci fi film that was made in 2008. It was called Agent Crush, starring Yayan Griffith. Uh, Brian Cox, Neve Campbell, Brian Blessed and Roger Moore. Unfortunately, the movie never got released onto the big screen. Reason? Unknown. But luckily the movie is available to rent or buy on Amazon Prime and I recommend it. It's better than Team America and it's dedicated to Derek Meddings. Ooh, interesting. Um, he says, go on, do you know that? Uh, yes, I, I know about Agent Cross. Yes, it's, uh-huh. a, mm, it's yeah. an interesting uh, piece. Right. Fair enough. <laughs> Worth looking out then. Uh, he continues. There's another thing I want to mention. I don't know if you saw my post on Facebook a while ago, but I mentioned that whenever there's a big British event or like the Queen's Jubilee Parade or the 2012 Olympic ceremonies, TV shows or films that were made in Britain uh, are involved, like Doctor Who, Mr. Bean, James Bond, Harry Potter, etc. But do they involve anything to do with Jerry Anderson? No, they don't, says Mark Simpson Wedge. It's disgraceful, unfair and so wrong. Or, in this case, and a wrong Ah, oh, uh, yeah. nice spot with an Andorong there, <laughs> He Mark, continues, right? yes. Uh, he says, hopefully the next time there's a big British event, Anderson shows will be involved. But what would you like to see? He says, sorry, Jamie, but it's time for another Quick Fire 5. Oh. Here we are. This has been sprung on you, Jamie. This is a Quick Fire 5 sent in from Mark Simpson Wedge. Thanks, Mark. Are you ready for these? Yes. Right. Apart from Fab 1, which other ground vehicle would you like to see in the parade? SPV or Gabriel? Oh, SPV. No, really? I'd like to see Gabriel. I've seen Gabriel before. I've never seen a real SPV. Fair enough. Uh, Apart from Fab 1, which other ground vehicle would you like to see in the parade? SPV. Oh, I've just just read that one. (laughs) I mean, should we cut that out or should I just carry on? (laughs) Just carry on. Just carry on. Uh, Which craft do you want to see giving an air display? Angel interceptors or eagle transporters? Um. Oh. Yeah. Eagles would look oh. more impressive, I think, because the angels would look more like normal planes. So yeah, eagles. Yes. Okay. Which Anderson submarine would you like to see travelling along the River Thames? Stingray or skydiver? It's so tricky, but I reckon we oh. lose skydiver with colour in the Thames. So I'm going to say stingray. Oh. Wow. Okay. And finally, who should provide the singing entertainment? Cliff Richard Jr. or Kate Kestrel? Oh, Kate. Poor Poppy. <laughs> Sorry, Cliff. Ah, oh, very good. And finally, which Martian villain should try and sabotage the event? The Mistrons or Zelda? Oh, well, we've already got a Scarlet thing with the SPV, so let's say yeah. Zelda. Ah, oh, it had to be, did it? There you go. That's a Thanks, quick Mark. from Mark, who says, have a good day. Well, have a good day yourself, Mark. Thanks for those. Uh, all for now, but do send in, uh, well, even your own. Quick five five, so Jamie, why not? Uh, just attach them to your email and send them into podcast at jerryanderson.com along with all your comments and reviews and ideas and thoughts, and I'll read them out next time. Excellent. Yeah. Can't wait. Um Is that what you're gonna have to? Well, all right, Maybe a week, mind. I'll I'll wait. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so do you want me to do a guest thing then? What is there a guest? 
course as a guest. Oh, well, that's nice, isn't it? So, yeah, go on then. Um, oh, hang on, though. Yeah? It's not time for the guests, it's time for news. Oh, I thought you were shuffling things up a bit. No! Oh, Keeping I'm me on my toes. I'm losing it today. How about instead we do oh. some Jerry Anderson Oh, news. hang on, I'll just... Uh, yeah, could you just wait outside a minute? I'll be with you in a minute. Sorry, just telling my guest. Yeah, we're doing the news first. There we go. All right. I'm sure they won't mind. Brilliant, everything's going so well. Right, let's have this week's Jerry Anderson news. Ah, it's chaos. Yes, it's uh, obviously mm. the very well organised and uh, oh, timely Jerry Anderson news 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 news. Yes, and there's lots of it as usual. Uh, here we go yep. with uh, this. So let's start with the stuff that I basically leaked last week because I, um, yeah, just got things a bit wrong with the dates. Uh, oh. I'm very excited about this upcoming UFO Shadow Technical Operations Manual, courtesy of our lovely guest today on the podcast, Chris Thompson. I can't believe Chris has never been on before. Anyway, you'll t- we'll talk more about that later. The UFO Shadow Technical Operations Manual is out next month, but will be available to pre-order later this month. More on that very soon. A date for your diary if you're interested. Chris and I will be doing a live video on the 19th uh, of September at 6.30pm to reveal some of the content, show you some spreads, talk about the process. Oh, yes. But basically, this is a an in-universe guide as if you had just joined Shadow as an operative. It's a beautiful book. The Space 1999 book was special. I'm going to say that Chris has one-upped himself here. It's really, really lovely. The book is made to look a bit more like an 80s thing, so different colour palettes, slightly different styling, but the renderings and stuff that he's done, goodness me, it's just absolutely beautiful. So more on that very, very soon, but I, for one, am extremely excited. Now, today the day of release is the 12th of September, which means that tomorrow, of course, is the 13th, and it's Breakaway Day. Great. A great day for Space 1999 fans. You may have seen the release of our Breakaway Day 2022 t-shirt, limited edition, and a couple of new Space 1999 designs. However, there is a live stream on the 13th mm-hmm. at 6.30pm UK time, that's British summer time, uh, with me, Robert Wood, and David Hirsch, and we will have a lovely announcement going on then. So you'll definitely want to join us. You can join us at YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and everywhere, basically. But basically, youtube.com slash TV. We've posted links across the web to all the places uh, where you can join us. But that'll be fun, and we've got some great stuff to share with you there. Oh, that's good. This Saturday, we've got a motion comic teaser of brains is dead thunderbirds brains is dead so combining our fantastic upcoming thunderbirds audios with the uh, the comic art from tv21 so stand by for that mm-hmm. you may have missed also last weekend captain Oka's best moments from new captain scarlet courtesy of ac part of his ongoing series allowing you to revisit some of the greatest stuff from new captain scarlet oh i saw that yes it looks brilliant this saturday coming which is, what, the 17th? Yes, it must be the 17th. Andrew Harmon, the designer of Thunderbirds Danger Zone, is at Tabletop Gaming Live 
up in Manchester, I believe. Oh, I've probably got that wrong now, but let's say it's Manchester. Uh, just double check before you head to the uh, the incorrect city. Uh, and he's going to be there playing Thunderbird's Danger Zone. He's going to have some copies available so you can go and learn from the man who designed it. Uh, say hello to him, get a copy yourself there, and just go and play all sorts of other tabletop games. Uh, now, I mentioned Thunderbirds as The Hood, our new audio drama, uh, which is two different stories, two mini-albums, if you will, uh, The Vanishing Ray and Brains is Dead. Well, Thunderbirds vs. The Hood plus our audio annual Anything Can Happen are going to be released on Thunderbirds Day, the 30th of September. So they will be shipping uh, on or around that date. If you've pre-ordered, we'll try to get them to you ahead of time so you can enjoy them on Thunderbirds Day. And on that note, and finally for now, on this Thunderbirds Day... The return of Fab Live! Oh. Hooray! Yes, it's Fab Live, the Thunderbirds Day edition. That'll be coming live from the Moxie Hotel in Slough, the Thunderbirds Hotel, 6.30pm on the 30th of September. If you are in the area and would like to come and join us as part of a small live audience, you'll be more than welcome. We'd love to see you there. We might even have some goodies for you too. But uh, no need to come along. You can enjoy it from anywhere in the world, 6.30pm UK time, Thunderbirds Day, 30th of September for Fab Live, the Thunderbirds Day edition. Oh, that's quite a bumper crop, isn't it? But that's the end of this week's Jerry Anderson News. That was the news. That was the news. Brilliant. Always yeah. nice to have some news, isn't it? Especially when Always I remember nice. that we actually are supposed yeah. to have some news. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Always nice to have a bit of news in the right place in the podcast. <laughs> Although I suppose it doesn't really matter, does it? But it's what people have come to expect. I think they set their watch by us. Do they really? Yeah. I doubt I it very much. Come on. It's 20 minutes in, so it must be time for the news. That's what they're thinking. Okay. Well, let's see if we get some complaints. Do please send in your <laughs> schedule and timing complaints to podcast at jerryanton.com. <laughs> Uh, or you can post them on our Facebook group where our lovely Podstrons have also been adding their comments and pictures and so on. Uh, for example, Miles Parrish posted about, oh, he's been listening to the third uh, collection of Terrorhawks stories from Anson Entertainment, The Big Finish, saying, oh, yes. so the Terrorhawks audio series has now twice brought me to tears. Absolutely stellar stuff from all involved. Cannot recommend highly enough. There. Hmm. Yeah. So nice? He's got the bug, I think. Yeah, yeah well, quite right um, too. Yes, April Penfold says, Forgive me if people already know this, but I'm watching Light and Magic documentary on Disney+, and I'm delighted to find out that the reason why the Millennium Falcon is the shape it is is because the first shape of it was too much like the shape for the Eagles in Space 1999. George Lucas didn't want anything that looked like anything uh, out there already. I think we covered that in a previous Fab Fact. I think we have, or, or uh, yeah. certainly in discussion in a couple. But there's yeah. so many podcasts now, it's easy to forget what the hell's going that's on. That's true, that's true. Well, as, as we've demonstrated earlier. Uh, Andrew Clem who we know and love uh, commented on that saying well actually Lucas decided to follow Jerry's example in the end uh, designing his CGI Clone Wars characters to be deliberately reminiscent of Thunderbirds mm, puppets. He did. I think we've covered right. that as well. Right, there you go. Roger M. Smith who last week treated us to a picture of his uh, oh I think it was some sort of cheesy bakes I think that, uh, that rather lovely he says I think I know why Fab One is on display at the Black Country Museum they're in the process of adding two new streets to the museum one in the 50s and one in the 60s my guess is Fab One is part of the 60s display as it's a Lincoln so I think I'll have a chat because I have quite a collection of 60s toys oh, FAB that sounds good, doesn't it? Up at the uh, Black Country Museum. Might be worth a look. Uh, Danny Hewson says, Hi, all you Podstrons. I hope you're all okay. Some of you may have read my earlier post that says I'm a number one Thunderbirds fan, closely followed by Captain Scarlet. So this is an observation, not a criticism. Uh-oh. 
I just watched the Thunderbird 1 launch segment and never really thought about this before, but should Scott be lying horizontal or at least an incline? The Sun Probe crew all seem to be lying back and on every NASA space launch the crews are always lying down. The stress on Scott's body would cause him to black out, I would imagine. Thunderbird 1 does not get, uh, rather does get going once it's off its launch pad. I do love that scene, so here is my question to you all. Can anyone come up with a reasonable explanation as to why Scott manages to survive this upright sitting position on takeoff and why the cockpit launch position is designed that way? Also, can you come up with any other incidents in the Anderson universe where this happens? Ah, all the best to you all from Danny Hewson. Well, that is very specific, Danny. I don't think I've ever heard that criticism le- yeah. leveled at Thunderbird 1, but I think there you're right. Go. But maybe um, there's a muscle-stimulating system built into the chair, which causes right. Scott's legs hey. and buttocks to contract, okay, squeezing the, the blood feeling. up to his yeah. head, um, yeah. stopping him from passing out, maybe? I mean, does that work? <laughs> right. Clutching at straws, I think. Uh, I mean... I prefer uh, Emily Woodthorpe's explanation, who says, I think it's just something we're not supposed to think about too much, like how Thunderbird 2 can fly. Yeah. I mean, that Probably. is the other thing with all these. It's, you know, yeah. don't think about it too much. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And finally, over on Facebook, Paul Hyder uh, says, So Thunderbird 1 has one main engine. Thunderbird 2 has <laughs> two main engines. Mm. Thunderbird 3 has three. Yeah. So why did the designers not follow through with Thunderbird 4? <laughs> Ah. Oh, well, I'm not sure yeah. that was the, the the basis of it. And does Thunderbird One have one <laughs> has one main engine, but it's got like yeah nine yeah, or more, kind of... hasn't it? Total little engine. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, and also if that if two's doing its vertical takeoff and landing, then it's got four. Sure. So I there think I think we yes. can very quickly oh. start to you know well undo this nonsense. <laughs> Well, there we go. Yeah, uh, if you want to join in the conversation, just head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash podstrons, answer a few questions, we'll let you in, and you can join in on all the fun. Fan blimintastic. And it's so yeah. nice there, so do it. Yeah, isn't it? Now, Absolutely. I think it is time for an interview now, isn't it? Oh, is it? Is it that time now, is it? Yes, it is that okay, time. Because I tried to do it right earlier, and that was a long sure? time, but now's the right time. You, do, you, you don't want to put the randomizer in first? Stop it. Then, no? All Stop right. it. No, All right. it's interview time. Okay. Now, All right. um, lots of you will know Chris Thompson. He's a designer, writer, comic person, animator, does everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's also the writer and illustrator of the upcoming Shadow Technical Operations Manual, our lovely UFO piece. And uh, it's something to behold. And you may have seen some previews by this point. But uh, I thought I'd have a quick chat with Chris to see how he does it because I know how long he's been working on this and how hard he works but how does he work out the layout of various buildings and stuff which aren't shown in context in the UFO how does he work out anything really uh, for, yeah. for these incredibly detailed illustrations that he puts together and what's the process of writing a book like this so I had a quick chat with Chris uh, and so here's that quick chat great over to Chris Hello, my name is Chris Thompson, and I am the author of UFO, the, uh, what's the title of this book again? The Shadow Technical Operations Manual. Sorry, it's been a long day. I'm so glad that you knew that, Chris. Now, you say I'm the author of this book. You are also so multi-talented, it actually kind of annoys me a little bit. And also, you have a ridiculously uh, luscious head of hair, which is also very unfair. Yeah, thank you. He just shook it. It doesn't work. Shampoo advert style. So what other stuff might the Podstrons know you for, Chris? There's so much. 
Um, let's go back. So they might know me for the cover of the Space Police script book from 2013. <laughs> you uh, super niche there straight away. Okay. That was the first thing I did for you ever. Um, but yeah, they know me from Robert the Robot, the animated uh, short on the Fireball XL5 uh, Blu-ray. They might know me from New Captain Scarlet, Operation Saber. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might know me from just wandering around aimlessly at conventions. Mm-hmm. Um Generally, just uh, all around 3D artist, animator, man that makes occasional fan films back in the day. Okay, well, I'm I'm going to add on the Moonbase Alpha Technical Operations Manual writer oh, and yeah, illustrator. That Obviously, that's quite a major thing. The Fair. vast majority of our T-shirt and uh, hoodie designs, tons of other covers and artwork. I mean, it it it's quite it's an endless list. You're incredibly prolific. Uh, so. I'm sure there'll be lots of podcasts going, oh, yeah, Chris's stuff, brilliant. Well, now he's finally here. I can't believe it's been this long that we get mm. 222 pods in before we actually have you on. So sorry about that. But we're not actually here to talk about all your other stuff. This is mm. solely about UFO. So for the uninitiated, Chris, what is the UFO Shadow Technical Operations Manual exactly? Or Shadow Tom, as we've been calling it. <laughs> You can call in, it Shadow in, Tom in, if you like. Shadow That's Tom. Fine. Um, so uh, the Shadow Technical Operations Manual is a essentially a guide to what Shadow is. It breaks down the history of the of the organization. It breaks down Shadow HQ, Moonbase, the uh, four branches of um, like forces that Shadow has: the Navy, the Space Force, the Ground Force, and uh, the uh, Shadair, their public facing air network it covers personnel equipment and everything we know about the aliens which is not a lot but uh that's half the fun of the show (laughs) and i think it's also important to mention that it's not just me i have my co-writer andrew clements working with me i have artists uh, graham bleefman and uh, christina logan uh, doing additional illustrations on it and then there's uh steve our lovely editor and the wonderful guys at amazing 15 that's very good of you to acknowledge everyone because it is an enormous team effort because it's a huge undertaking. However, you know, you are the person doing the bulk of the writing and all really of the, the certainly of the CG illustration stuff. And there mm. is a huge, huge amount. Um, I uh, last count, I think it's about 180 illustrations. Okay, there you go. Uh, 180 that's... illustrations by me. Yeah, that is, that is absolutely bonkers and another sign of your um, crazy, prolific nature. So... You did Moonbase Alpha. A lot of Posterons will probably have a copy of that. Off the back of that, what is the process of putting a book like this together? It's either like running a marathon or climbing Kilimanjaro. There's this element of, at the start of it, you make an asset list or you make a page list. And it's this huge blank document of everything you've got to do. <laughs> and you're just sitting there trying to put this thing together, being like, okay, right, we've got, like, obviously Sid, Skydiver like shadow interceptors uh moon base what rooms do you want to see well we want to see like i don't know shadow hq and straker's office and straker's other office and uh all these bits and you just make this huge list and then you just slowly start ticking these things off one by one Mm. and eventually like there's that bit in the middle where you're like is this ever going to end (laughs) the bit where we're at now where we're pretty much just finished being like oh actually like like I'm, at the minute, I'm going back through illustrations and fixing things up just while uh, sort of the book's getting checked. And it's like, okay, actually, like when you get to the top of Kilimanjaro and you look down and you're like, oh, okay, like we did that. Yeah. Like the second book, 
put it on the first one. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it is it is an amazing thing to see because I, you know, I, along the way, I'm seeing bits of text and the old illustration crop up. But you, you know, you do really just get on with it. There's not a lot of checking in or additional motivation required. So then, when it it appears in PDF form, you say, right here it is. It looks absolutely amazing. So okay. you know, well done for eating that elephant one mouthful at a time. Uh, I'm sure the book is delicious. <laughs> it it absolutely is. So you you do your asset list and all that kind of stuff. How much of it is actually sort of revisiting UFO? Um, you, I mean, as in how much of it is what rewatching episodes, rewatching? The oh series? yeah. So funny enough. Space 1999 was a show I knew very well, or at least year one. I'd been told not to watch year two by a lot of people, and then I actually <laughs> quite enjoyed it when I got around to it. Mm. But UFO was... Um, I have a slightly different relationship with UFO, because I never saw it as growing up, and it was probably when I was about 17, 18. I remember I saw UFO and Terrorhawks back-to-back, because that, that was sort of when the DVD revolution came out. Yeah. And at that point in my life, I appreciated UFO. I got the two dvd set and i got the second dvd set first because why not start halfway through so i was more familiar with like the pinewood episodes which are a little bit more spacey and out there and it took me a while to get into it it's only really as an adult i kind of was like actually no i appreciate what this thing's trying to do now Mm. it's it's not another run and gun space show this is actually very a human story about the people that work in this organization and the very Mm. extreme nature of what shadow is because like it's an undertaking that makes faking the moon landings seem completely insignificant. <laughs> Once you have to like try and explain how they do how shadow operates, like there's no way they could keep that secret. There's thousands of people that work for this organization. They've got like regular trips to the moon back and forth and yeah. like a steady stream of like nuclear missiles getting shipped to moon base and things. And it's obviously the the series quite wisely focuses on like how difficult it is to keep the secret, how difficult it is for people to like have relationships under the strain of impending alien attack and secrecy and having this very strict system in place. And it meant that like having watched the series and got into the series much later on, I could sort of appreciate it a bit more. And in fact, like uh, I was in hospital for a bit last year and I remember like whenever we'd sort of like, right, this is the manual we're going to do. So I like, my first run of binge watching the series was in my hospital bed. <laughs> wow. um, I've just been like, okay, here we go. Like, right, here we Shadow, secret headquarters, alien defense organization, secret location beneath film studio. Start typing. Nice. Uh, Dr. Jackson, et cetera, attending, hopefully not to you. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting that you, that you talk about it as a... Um, as a more of a kind of human drama, because I think if, if you ask a lot of people what is UFO, they'd be like, oh, it's about aliens invading and there's like, you know, secret organization repelling them and they're trying to steal our organs and stuff. That's their the focus. But your view of it is slightly different to that. It is. And uh, interestingly, what is UFO is a question I've had to answer quite a lot lately, because mm. like you meet people in the world, you go on dates and stuff, and they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm writing a book. And it's like, so what's a book about? And it's about this TV show called UFO. And they're like, what's UFO? And it's like, mm. okay, well, style like in terms of content, it's kind of like the X Files meets for all mankind. And in terms of style, it's like Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow it works. <laughs> wow. That I've never heard that particular combination before, but I can see where you're coming yeah. from there. Like it's it's a TV show about like it's 
in many ways it's a product of its time, but like you if you ever made UFO, you have to make it funky. Yeah. There's no way that you could just take all that out and have it still be the same show. Yeah. There there is a big uh, aspect of the style visually, the music and all that kind of stuff that makes it what it is. Well, like my friend Christian Tarpy is this very interesting way of talking about UFO and he sort of regard it's almost like a magazine show. Mm. Like everyone's hot everything like everyone has like wonderful luscious cars and furniture and everything is so designed down to a yeah. t it's almost like aspirational in a way except for the aliens trying to kill us and steal our organs except for all the dark stuff <laughs> yes. and the failed marriages and all that sort of stuff yeah, yeah the guest star dying at the end of every episode yeah. yeah 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 but other than that you're right it's all very optimistic view of the future it's a very 60s a very late 60s view mm. of an aspirational future isn't it so mm. I, makes total sense i'm sure 1980 was exactly like that it, as far as i'm aware it was so they say so <laughs> when you when you're revisiting then ufo not from the the human point of view but from the technical point of view because that's what it, what this is is all about the hardware really and the locations when it was made it was not made with a view that people were going to pick through it with a fine tooth comb and so you will inevitably i guess come across things that make no sense at all interiors that don't fit exteriors locations around Arlington Straker or inside Shadow HQ for example that don't seem to connect up so how how on earth do you deal with that without well, spoiling what it is funnily enough i disagree oh uh, good for some reason Particularly, this this happened with the first sort of part of UFO, and then it flies off the rails whenever they were told to make it more exciting. Yeah. But initially, UFO was actually extremely succinct. Um, it was a shame we were never actually able to find the series bible for this one because we mm -hmm. had it for Moonbase, but we did uh, thanks to David Hirsch. But this one we didn't have it for UFO. Yeah. But Shadow is at least initially designed extremely like clockwork like mm. uh, the interceptors only having one missile is there's actually a very good reason for that and it's to do with like ra like mass ratios in space and sort of also scarcity like there's only so many nukes that you can have and yep. not ha only having one shot anyway like shadow hq itself you don't really see enough of it but like they do kind of they hold to whenever like you see the the very first shot inside Shadow HQ when it's got like the layout and everything, they kind of hold to that as well. Mm. And you see like a map of it in Mindbender, and again, it's it's familiar. You can kind of recognize where all the corridors and stuff would be theoretically. It's only really in those Pinewood episodes when suddenly the interceptors are having dogfights with the UFOs, or uh, like you've got characters turning up that weren't there before, or just. <laughs> Stuff like that, whenever like it gets a lot more action-adventure, when it sort of starts to kind of get a bit mixed up. Okay. And I have... There is some explanations to like kind of work around stuff for that. But uh, no, actually, I was very impressed, at least initially, because there's not too much... not uh, like Unlike Space 1999, where I had to do a little bit of mm. reworking, including adding UFO to Space 1999's canon to sort of make it work. Yeah. Yeah, UFO. I didn't really have to do that at all. Like it's actually quite succinct. I'm amazed that that is the case. I mean, there must be some creative steps you've had to take in some places, or is it literally everything you see is pretty much represented on screen? I don't know. Like, admittedly, like there there is other production issues. Like, there's more than one skydiver, yet you only really see one, except for the one that blows up. Yeah, honestly, unless there's something really staring me in the face, which I can't remember. 
Um, no, I'm, I, well, there's nothing that I've got in mind where I'm like, yeah, Chris, you know that one thing where you, you know, you made the wigs orange mm. rather than purple. He didn't, really, by the way. It's, it's it's probably more on the line with uh, the, the the aliens because, like, towards the second half of the series, the aliens they start mixing things up with them, and suddenly mm. they can stop time and uh, inhabit cats. <laughs> <laughs> Even like though they're been, aliens, yeah, yeah. So, um, but like, that's not a criticism. It's fun. I yeah. uh, like I enjoy those latter episodes of UFO. It just makes my life harder. <laughs> it's part part of the joy of this, and like you said, there was less for you to have to do creatively than there was on Moonbase, because actually it all worked. That seems weird to me, though, that uh, an earlier show makes more kind of logistical sense than a later one. But is that, do you think that's just a function of 1999 um, being bred out of a, a failed UFO 2? Um, maybe, maybe not. Like, one thing that really stuck with me, particularly with working on the models and things, is that um, Moon, uh, UFO was made, was the last production of a production company that had been working for 10 to 12 years at that point. Yeah. Like, it was them at their, the best the best of their game. Yeah. Even if it was their first live-action show, like, they really knew what they were doing by that point, whereas Space 1999 was the other way around. Like, it was the first production from Group 3, and there was, like, a very talented team, but they obviously hadn't really had the same, had the same time to build up the same yeah. level of synergy, I think. Okay, that's yeah, interesting view. Interesting, um, but I, well, I'm I'm glad though that UFO kind of just worked in its own world for you. I think in many ways, um, it's harder with Space 1999 because um, it's there's like a I'm trying to do the math here, but there's like a 24 year jump from 1975 to 1999, whereas UFO, it's very much that like there's not a whole lot of future jumping in it like obviously yeah. they, they meant there's a few throwaway lines that they colonized the moon to a degree but um it is very much 1970 but with fancier cars and like a fledgling space uh industry yeah and cool outfits uh, and, and cool outfits yeah. So, yeah i mentioned the outfits specifically so you got christina back to do those so, illustrations uh, right christina is uh a local artist from Belfast, and I got her to do the uniform illustrations of Space 1999, and she did a really lovely 1970s, uh, almost like kind of fashion magazine illustration style for them, so nice. it made a lot of sense to get her back to do the same for UFO. And um, like the costumes in UFO are, they're certainly one of the standard aspects of the series. Um <laughs> It made it a little tricky for me to talk about because obviously there's a bit of a disparity between what the guys are wearing and what the girls are wearing. And yes. that's that's no shade on Sylvia. Sylvia was was trying to design something that was iconic and they it are was very memorable costumes. Yeah. Well that's the thing. It's like uh, a lot of people won't know the show, but they'll know the image of a purple haired sort of moon girl. Yes. And that that is that is impressive. But it actually from a, a cold calculating technical standpoint, try to explain that the guys wear polo shirts and slacks on Shadow HQ and the girls wear cat suits and have <laughs> a makeup kit that has to yeah. be on them at all times. Yes. Which is also a radio. Um yes, obviously. So uh, I did I did reach out to a couple of like Christina and my friend Alana. Alana being a uh, fashion designer herself mm -hmm. to just get some input because I really wanted women with me on that kind of to help guide me through how to talk about <laughs> the moon-based costumes and things. Absolutely. I'm very good of you to uh, 
sort of o- open discussions up like that because I think you know there's a there's a lot of nostalgic for sort of reaction to those outfits, but you know you're not going to get that in a technical manual for operatives uh, of Shadow. Well, I think so- it, there's an element of just trying to remember that, like anybody who's in Shadow has not only passed like physical tests, but the like apparently the world's greatest met- uh, intellectual. Yeah. like these are very smart intelligent people yes <laughs> so there's just a, an element to try and remember that when talking about these costumes uh, yes very very smart very sensible and do we do we come up with an answer for the purple wigs yes do you want me to tell you it now or do you want to buy uh, no book? no <laughs> if you want to know the answer for the purple wigs the official answer then you'll have to buy the technical operations manual when it's available later this month <laughs> um Yes, let, we've got to keep some secrets, Chris. I mean, this is Shadow after all. Mm. Uh, what has been your favourite set or vehicle to build? Well, you're not supposed to have a favourite child, but Skydiver is my favourite child, and I don't care who knows it. Um, <laughs> I, knew it. I knew it. I just love that thing. Um, even before I'd seen UFO, I remember like the the only real... Uh, idea of what UFO was for my youth was this uh, Steve Kite poster and I remember on it in the corner was like a UFO Ellis and Skydiver and my brain was like Skydiver like yeah, I'm all about that that is a very nice looking vehicle I do there is a speculative interior for the UFO in this yes. which I'm reasonably proud of it's be- um, very cool very Which cool. comes with the caveat that there is no consistent size for the UFO, so every speculative interior could be completely different depending on it, because the UFO was whatever size that the actual model department or the crypt department needed them to be at the time. Yeah, But yes, uh, I did try to have a little bit of a play about what it might look like inside. Uh, and, and it does look very cool. It's and it fit. It feels to me like it really fits with the whole the whole vibe of the show, which makes sense because you know you've been immersed in it for. Well, the best part of a year, really. I've lived and breathed UFO. Yeah, I don't know if I can come back to the real world. The inescapable. Uh, we can stay in 1980 in that lovely fashionable era. Uh, and so we know your favourite. What was, I'm not going to say your least favourite, what, what was the most challenging thing to build and research? Hmm. A lot of the vehicles I actually found quite challenging. Like one of which being the actual, the lunar, the lunar transport. Uh, mm. the big red thing and um, yeah. mainly well, one there's very little reference for it but again going back to the century 21 model team being at the their absolute pinnacle there's all these like curves and mm. sort of everything's covered in like extreme details and panel lines and yeah. things and compared to space 1999 where a lot of ev- like everything's made out of these very simple shapes that have been sort of put together so while they take ages to model they're not too difficult to get right. You've just got to yeah. kind of get stuck in. Whereas, like, if a curve's out of place on, I don't know, the shadow transporter, you'll know. And uh, obviously, there's a little bit of leeway because there's not a whole lot of reference to work with. But mm. at the same time, there is a bit of a, like, I can't really not get this right. I need to sort of obsess over this intensely. Because <laughs> you, you you know there will be screen grabs done later on and uh, comparisons made. I mean, whenever that... like the inevitable 8K release, like in in 20 years, <laughs> and I'll be like completely wrong. <laughs> You'll suddenly discover all these extra panel lines you can never see before. I mean that that craft in particular has got a kind of like a not Stingray the craft, but Stingray the aquatic creature mm. kind of 
feel to it and it's so so curvy and organic mm. i mean can you can you feel the kind of evolution of the model effects team from thunderbirds on kind of refining their design style and collaborating is does it feel like the pinnacle of that group's design it, ability as well it, it really does like uh, my theory with the shadow transporter actually is um going from stingray onwards uh like their special effects team really got bored with doing planes very quickly mm. and uh you can kind of see all the way through thunderbirds and scarlet to ufo they're like right how can we do a plane differently and so like in scarlet you've got flight 104 with the the wings joining the front wing tips or fire flash has the cockpit at the back and stuff and obviously ufo because it's a lot more grounded has a lot of regular planes like seagull x-ray and the shadow transporter but uh you can kind of see them being like let's do something nice interesting and complicated with the the mobile transporter or the the kingfisher the little like two the three rotor uh vtol thing mm -hmm. that only appears in one episode from one angle and i had to extrapolate the rest of the sides from <laughs> thanks guys wow okay yeah so <laughs> it, 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 many many challenges but also some very cool designs to to tackle mm. since you mentioned the kind of one-off vehicles and stuff we've you know we know skydive is your favorite okay favorite child is named is there a particular favorite guest or single appearance or appeared very few times design that really kind of grabbed you uh well i was quite fond of the kingfisher actually mm. um and what I like, it was quite fun just to be able to be like right this is what the rest of the vehicle looks for like because luckily we have uh a piece of concept art from mike trim that very much reflects what it's supposed to look like but yeah. another thing i was quite pleased about is the interceptors in the show were designed by derek meddings but the first pass of them was done by mike trim yeah and we have this like uh sort of from the side concept art of the original mike trim interceptor Unlike I did with Chris Foss Eagle in Space 1999, I modeled the Mike Trim Interceptor for this one. So we have a nice double page spread on the prototype Interceptor, which yeah. ended up getting refined down into what it is in the show. And like that was quite a nice thing. I, I enjoyed that because it really, it was very much, uh, Mike describes it as the cousin to the Moonmobile. Yeah. And, uh, I really kind of wanted to show the more NASA-like esque because I think Derek wanted to make something a bit more fun and a bit more interesting with like sort of more like traditional sci-fi fins and cool stuff on it. And yes. I guess not not dissing the interceptor, it is actually a very iconic, interesting design, especially when painted green and with a pop-up <laughs> missile. But um, yeah, uh, getting to do the more realistic one was quite fun as well. So. It, it is a lovely spread, and it's nice to have a little bit of a reference to the kind of the genesis of the show, much like you did with the the Space Nineteen Ninety Nine book. So there'll be more about this in coming weeks. We've got some live videos and stuff planned, and you can reveal some spreads and show off your fantastic work, Chris. Now, obviously, behind the scenes, we've had discussions about future books, assuming that you're not too exhausted from this one. I'm so tired. <laughs> yeah, you'll be you'll be fine in a couple I'm of weeks. Just, uh, back to the content minds. <laughs> exactly. Get back to work. Uh, but it, you know, if you could choose any show to do next, and I really mean any show, you know, beyond what we've discussed and beyond what might be mm. going on behind the scenes, uh, you know, would it be the investigator technical manual? Or I was the, about uh, to say the investigator into infinity I... technical manual. What, um, what, what would be the most 
fun for you to do, forgetting any commercial considerations? I would quite like to do Win. Uh, really? Yeah, and like not like a big book, but just like a little like the World Wind Intelligence line. Network like agents manual, and then you could have the the suit. You have the suitcase, but you could also have like the guest vehicles because Joe Ninety's a lot better than people say it is. Jamie, okay, no comment. <laughs> yeah, fine. Um, but uh, my heart does belong to Stingray, and um, like I have talked at length about how cool Stingray is and how fun it would be to sort of try and really politically uh, plan out that world and yeah. like at least even have like a map where like this is the area that Titan owns and this is where the solar stars are this is like where Wasp operates and why Wasp and how Wasp and what Navy and who what yeah. and submarine yes <laughs> you know trying to make sense of the world of uh... <laughs> of Stingray yes. yeah okay quite quite the challenge yeah. uh, well let's see you know, we've got discussions going on in the background, and uh, mm-hmm. clearly, you know, you've found a bit, pretty magic formula for this. Uh, and I, I, you know, flicking through the the current version and just seeing it as it goes into the sort of final round of prep for print, it is an astonishing piece of work. And I think you should be very mm-hmm. proud of what you've achieved. He says in a, in a non-patronizing way. Really, it is awesome. Uh, I I can't wait to get my hands on a physical copy. Mm. It's like even like. I, uh, again, shout out to the guys in Amazing 15, because I obviously get bored with my own work very quickly, but it's always quite nice to get the book in and be like, discover it again, because mm. uh, Amazing 15 on this one, it's not just a replication of their work on Moonbase, on the Moonbase Alpha Manual. They've gone back and been like, right, what would this format look like 20 years beforehand? Yes. And so like it does it it is a lovely looking book and that's not just me saying that i'm talking about other people's work as well yes uh, no 100 percent. they've done a fantastic yeah. job and the, the, again it's the co- collaboration that makes it really really work so, and also we've got graham back as well so and we've also got a piece by graham Beesman, exactly yeah. so and you'll have to get the book to see that uh that painting by graham featuring many many vehicles from the world of uh of shadow uh, mm. Chris, we'll be back on various video things in the near future. If people want to find you on social media, where can they do that? ChrisXL5 is my Instagram, and I do tend to share pieces of bits and pieces of what I work on there if you want to get the drop on things. But uh, that's probably the best place to get me. Uh, My Twitter handle is InvincibleChris with with, uh, a one instead of the I of Chris because you know what it's like trying to come up with a username for yourself. (laughs) <laughs> yes, so invincible crew once, yeah. uh, essentially. Chris Axel 5 is probably the better one, though. Go and find him on Instagram. Uh, Chris, can't wait to see the physical version. You've done an amazing job. And, and I um, can't wait to see the Torch of the Battery Boy technical operations manual. That'll be even better, the best yet. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Oh, wow. he's such a clever lad, there isn't he? Are. Yeah, always nice to hear from Chris. Clever, yeah, clever, clever, clever Chris. And yeah, more right. on the UFO Shadow Technical Operations Manual later this month. Um, and in fact, Ooh. we're probably only a couple of weeks away from pre-order going live, I would think. Something like that. I, right. mean, I couldn't possibly say. Um, no, sure. But uh, yeah, right. there'll be more more previews and videos and all sorts coming over the next couple of weeks while we start to showcase you what's in it, because it is rather smart. Uh, next I week, bet. I've got another Chris. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How many are there? Uh, well, there's millions. Uh, but this is Chris Bentley we're talking about, uh, author yeah. of many books that you may know, including the most recent Space 1999, The Vault. So uh-huh. um, more very, very soon. 
Uh, what have you got to say for yourself, Richard James? Well, I've been hanging around on Twitter, you know, just shooting the breeze and seeing what people are saying about the Jerry Anderson podcast, which is always always a mistake. But mm. Peach has posted, uh, took a break from catching up on the Jerry Anderson podcast and switched to Audible and the Thunderbirds audiobooks. Excellent productions. Oh. Really enjoyed them. I hope there's more. Uh, other Ander books added to my wish list, and I know how I'm going to use my next credit. And rather intriguingly, uh, they included a gif of Office Orin poking his head out of the dumpster. Ah, yes. So uh, maybe there's some uh, space precinct books in her wish list. Dane uh, posted, uh, oh, Jerry Anderson podcast. Uh, he's instructing us to check out the Graham Norton show video uh, and included a link. This is the famous clip of uh, Idris Elba being confronted with his uh, yes. uh, stellar performance of Space Precinct and Anthony Berryman posted, and done. After a couple of days at work, I finally got back to the Space 1999 puzzle this morning. It's a cracker. Thanks to Jerry Anderson TV for such a fab bit of merch. Lovely. Dave Probert tweeted, Thunderbirds was excellent. Jerry Anderson covered everything that Irwin Allen covered and in Supermarination to boot. Which is a really nice thing to say because, of course, Owen Allen was the uh, producer of all those fantastic disaster movies from the 70s. But yes, Jerry Anderson got there first and in miniature. Uh, Contemplative politics says, without wanting to sound flippant, the only real memories I have of my parents together involves watching TV with them, specifically the Jerry Anderson shows, hence why even as a grown-ass man, I feel such a strong connection to them. Oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that great? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Hiroki tweeted, when did you start liking Jerry Anderson shows? Mine started last month. I watched the old Captain Scarlet which shows that it's never too late to stumble across a Jerry Anderson series. And finally, David Thomas says, I quite enjoyed a live-action, or rather, I would quite enjoy a live-action remake of uh, Joe 90 in CGI today. Uh, they could really do that Jerry Anderson classic proud. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Could happen. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Never say uh, never. So, <laughs> never say never. So keep your tweets coming in. Hashtag us, Jerry Anderson Podcast. Tag me, Richard N. James. Him over there, I'm Jamie Anderson. And him over there, about to bring his fist down on the big red button of the randomizer at Chris Dalek. It might be a delicately placed pinky, you never know. Could be. Uh, and we'll find out very soon. So, yes, Chris is pretty much ready for his randomizer, where using a very specialized piece of technology with a big red button, yep. Yep. he presses it with some part of his arm and well, um okay or foot i suppose could do yeah. uh and it, yeah or nose and it randomly selects a random episode of a random jerry anderson series or film and chris says things about it and he's going to do that right now so shall we hand over to chris and his big red button yeah off you go chris oh where you been all these years come on in take a seat oh thank you very much mr dandridge Yes, yeah, sorry I haven't got around to seeing you sooner, but things are a bit hectic on the old randomizer front, you know. Yeah, I get it. But we're here now, and hoping you might be interested in taking a look at it for us today. Interested? I'm fascinated. Where can I see it? Oh, right here. Marina's just taking it out of its carry case. Yes, there we go. Oh, it's sensational. Yeah, not bad, is it? It's a gem. A perfect gem. And we'd like to extend to you an invitation to press the button today. Say, that's a great idea. Ah, that's it. Nicely done. Oh, splendid. So efficient. It is indeed. Always assuming it picks a good episode, of course. Any preferences? I regret to say I don't know. Well then, hopefully you won't be too disappointed when I tell you that today's episode is... Ah, 
A little art. No, I don't know much about art, but I know what I like. Yes, it is quite a likeable episode, as I recall. This is sensational. Well, you like it, I like it, but let's see what the Podstrons think. Here's Supercar. Supercar! So, we are back with Supercar for a little art, and we start appropriately enough in an art gallery with some very, uh, very cool lounge jazzy music. I'm not sure if that's a Barry Gray one or a, a library track. And all for the sale of a bunch of vulgar modern paintings that pass as art. Oh. Value. And instantly we have a couple of uh, very likeable and very uh, memorable uh, characters. These are our villains, our guest villains for the week. Steindorf. The only thing you... Steindorf. Crawling on subway posters. And... Jody. Jody. Jody Madden. In poison. Yay. Well, it's a nice little racket you got here. Yes, the uh, we instantly established that these two are uh, our ne'er-do-wells. Ten. Yeah, but all good things come to an end, you know. Graydon Gould doing another of his, uh, yeah, see, voices, which I think work really well for supercar villains. Avoided, see, by your friend and mine, the late Bud Haslam. And now we have this uh, very long conversation about art. When it came to painting dollar bills. Because, you know, supercar, we gradually build up to the action stuff a bit later in the series. Very early on, we have to uh, we have to have stories about paintings and uh, and talking about paintings. You sold Mexican plane? Oh, no. It surprised me, too, finding someone fool enough to buy such worthless trash. Ah, I wonder who could be fool enough to buy such worthless trash. But I also really like the look of these these two uh, villains. But where Hasler buried the counterfeit plates? Oh, It's obvious that Steindorf is uh, a former crook gone straight-ish. Great Beaker of Black Rock. Of course it was Beaker. He's got a lovely waistcoat as well as Steindorf. He may have to play it another way. Mm, see? Beginning to look a bit shabby, isn't she, Professor? Oh, Gee, no. I don't see anything wrong, Professor. Not on Blu-ray. It looks lovely, Professor. But as Mike says, the gloss is fading. Well, no. Professor? Can't keep giving her a facelift every other week. Oh, I, was, I almost felt for a moment there that, like the show was becoming meta. It was commenting on itself there. The gloss is fading. It's uh, not as novel as it was. Try a filter varnish. How would yeah. that help, Professor? Well, and this is again. I think we've discussed this before, where we don't have explosions and exciting stuff to happen. We have to have long conversations about sciencey things, and in this case, paint and gloss. Remarkable here in the way of a paint. Oh. Trust Doc. He's been working on our problem before we even knew we had one. We'll be right there, Doctor. I don't know why we're standing up on the upper level, Doctor. Ah. Oh. Uh, seriously. This is great, though. Who's Beaker showing the painting to first? <laughs> uh, I, uh, His fellow art critic, Mitch. Oh, come now. You're just saying that. And again, it's another wonderful moment of uh, David Graham talking to himself. And this is also a really nice painting. Uh, a bit Salvador Dali-ish. We have a cactus casting a shadow over the desert, a clock, and some calendar pages. I am disappointed. Dated March 5th, 1929. That's the only visible one I can see. And signed... Image. Hassler. Oh, bless my soul. He's gone. He just lit off after Jimmy. Have you been scaring him with your experiments, Doc? No, uh, just my painting. This? This is your painting? Certainly. Oh, did he just say the thing that I said? <laughs> oh, dear. Who's a fool? Exactly, yes. We were building our hopes too high, Professor. Wait! Stop! Where are you? Yes, this is Beaker's latest hobby of the week. 
without even looking. Although I suppose in production order, this is is quite an early one, actually. Where's the signature now? I'd love to know who painted this. It's very detailed. Hassler, twenty-nine. A Hassler. Uh huh. So. But have you no soul? Can you oh, that was a that was a statement. Have you no soul? Um, this is a, an episode with lots oh, of. Um, okay, and I think it stinks. Graydon Gould's deadpan, that wonderful deadpan side of of Mike, because there isn't much action in this one, but there is a lot of. Um, stuff he has to endure. But meanwhile, we've got some serious painting to do. Hmm. Serious? I'll say it's serious. The hour yeah, we're back in the groovy art gallery. It's a nice set as well. And what do I find? You so they've made very good use of a very small amount of space. They've they've um, roped off, like you would get in a gallery, two posts with a rope between them, so that they don't have to have a huge set. Suppose you quit dreaming and think up how we can get that Hasler back. Of course, I, I'm just waiting for... I also like that Jody has got uh, gaps in his teeth. Standoff speaks. It's quite a, it's quite a fun. You don't really notice characters' teeth so much in these shows. They're either, you know, they're just there. Subscriber in the area. Very well. Thank you. Maybe he's a hoymet or something. A hoymet. Say he's a hoymet. Can feed to go out there and grab it off him. You mean steal it? Now is that screwed right down, Jimmy? It has to be absolutely airtight. I think it's okay, Professor. Gee, I'm sure glad I'm learning about varnish instead of getting an education in a school. No. Charging nicely. Are we ready to fire? I beg your pardon, Mike. Well, there's no room for levity here, Mike. We are painting supercar. Firing one now. Uh huh. And interestingly, close up on the hand there, but that wasn't a human hand, that was a puppet hand still holding the bottle. Satisfactory. Most satisfactory. <laughs> well, I think we are ready to have a go at Supercar. Yay! No job, I'm afraid, because we have to be sure of covering every inch of the paintwork. Well, spare us no moment of this thrilling adventure. Professor? What? What? Was it? Where? It's okay, it was Dr. Beaker's phone. And don't point that thing at me. That probably means Mitch has answered it. <laughs> uh, now let me get this up uh, straight, Mr. Steindorf. I'm speaking into a telephone, uh, but the puppet is not sculpted to actually uh, be able to fit the um, speaking part uh, to my mouth. Thus, I have the phone at my ear, and the speaking end is uh, somewhere over my heart. Swallowing it? I think so. You paid ninety for it. Yeah, that's that's odd. They've they've sculpted these phones, but they don't reach from the ear to the mouth. They're, the the mouth end is quite away from the the mouth. Yeah, you're wasting your time, Mr. Steinoff. Yes, yes, it is possibly it is a fake, but it must be a very good fake, or it would not uh, command the price you are asking. Or else I am very stupid and willing to turn over lots of money uh, for no good reason. Probably how Popkiss enticed him to come on board with Supercar, actually. Almost finished this side. The level in the job. Never do find out where they got all the money to pay for all of this. Jimmy? Okay, Professor. There's one prepared of the bench inside the door. That's it, Professor. Over the lion pit. Next to the acid bath. You say we go see what. Be careful. Yes. Uh, now, the question we ask ourselves is why? Why is Mr. Steindorf so anxious to regain possession of this landscape? I wonder. 
Could it really be an old master? An early Van Gogh, perhaps? Or a Delgado? Or even an Ainley? Because stenciled on the back of the canvas here quite clearly is the inscription... This is a fake. In Blackfell Tip. Chicago, 1929. Must have got around a bit, this Van Gogh. Ooh. In time and space. <laughs> oh, so the master is involved. <laughs> Mitch agrees. It may seem human. That was a valuable contribution there from uh, our simian friend. Steindorf must have some reason for wanting the picture. <laughs> well, perhaps the canvas has been used before. Perhaps it really is a lovely painting. Very detailed. A grandma Moses. I I don't know. I I know that Keith Wilson was doing paintings for for Thunderbirds and later Space 1999. Was he on the show at this point? Nevertheless, the professor has given me an idea. There may indeed be another painting beneath this one. And if so, with the aid of a little uh, infrared investigation, we shall uh, discover it. Ooh, I love that Mitch is sat directly behind Beaker, just watching his every word, taking it all in. Oh, professor, you know what the doc's like when he gets an idea. Mm. So much for your big idea. Where did it get us? Well, how was I to know he turned down more than a hundred dollars? And I really like this David Graham uh, guest voice character for, for Steindorf here. In fact, uh, a few years ago, I was uh, I, I voiced a couple of characters in the Nebula 75 Christmas uh, episode, and one of them I based on this voice. I've never seen the thing, remember? Because I just love the sound of, of Steindorf. I'm not sure who David Graham is basing it on. But it's really lovely. Meanwhile, speaking of David Graham loveliness, Big shift apparatus. <laughs> Beaker and of course Mitch are about to turn the infrared onto the painting. Satisfactory developer fixer. Are we ready then? <laughs> yeah, jolly good. I couldn't conceive of doing this uh, uh, highly complicated experiment uh, without you, Mitch. Oh, ho, 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 that's so sweet. Do you mind if I switch on? No, no. Beaker's um, got the photo that he's taken in developing fluid, and Mitch has got another tray of developing fluid that he's just tapping his fingers in. He's just copying what Beaker is doing. It's so sweet. Nothing special. Just wondered how you're getting on. But I thought you weren't interested. That was when you borrowed the spray gun. Oh, my dear. Aha. Uh -huh. I quite forgot. Uh, you shall have it back almost immediately. I merely wanted it to uh, spray a solvent over the canvas. What for? Why? Well, this is where we find out that uh, the supercar team have only got one spray can between them. And reveal what is undoubtedly a masterpiece beneath. This is uh, all exciting stuff. And, yeah, having spent all this money on this painting... Over the whole area... Beaker is now more interested in the mystery of why Steindorf wants the painting back so badly that he is going to spray solvent over the painting to see what lies underneath. Because he's he's rather like a, a butterfly in terms of his uh, his passions and his interests. One minute it'll be that the painting is is everything, and then the next oh there's a mystery underneath it. Take it and let's get out of here. And it's night time now. Please. Before someone wakes. And Steindorf and Jody have broken into Black Rock, unbeknownst to anybody. 
and they've ripped the painting out, or cut it out. In the morning, you'll see, the man said. So what do we see? Curious. I love this, Mike really rubbing it in. It'll be quite gone, the man said. And he was right, too. Mighty good solvent of yours, Doc. I thought just the top layer was supposed to disappear. And it's interesting, um, seeing Jody and Steindorf sneak into Black Rock at night, this is, um, over the course of this episode, and it's quite rare for Supercar, the Supercar team actually don't meet the villains. I don't think, anyway. I thought that perhaps he might have thrown a light on this bit. Which is quite unusual, really, because, you know, it's, in terms of drama, Supercar is a fairly basic good guys and bad guys kind of show. And generally, there is always some kind of confrontation with those bad guys. Well, of stealing it, but not here, which is which is unusual. It's nice. That landscape, those mountains. I'll swear I've seen them before. So the supercar team have they've lost the painting because Jody and, and Steindorf have made off with that, but they've still got prints that Beaker had made. Not rest a moment. I've not had a moment's relaxation since we caught the plane at four o'clock this morning. You can rest when we get there. Hey, wait a minute. Aren't those the mountains? Uh, mountains? Well, there's some rocks that the prop department have dropped in and, uh, draped some sand over. The mountains, the ones we're looking for. No, oh, I hope so. Oh, and they've draped the puppets with sweat. And an odd thing with the, uh, the Jody puppet, though, is, and I think I may have mentioned this previously with Supercar, when he opens his lip to speak, there's light shining in through the back of his mouth, almost as if... It's coming in through like the lines, uh, the, the join line on the neck. Where it's going on? Hasler, Bad Hasler. Yes, an artist, a forger. Is that the only one you know of? Well, curious, most curious. But then I suppose a forger is an artist in his own peculiar way. A forger. Beak has now got the speaking end of the phone basically on his uh, on his tie. In 1929. Oh, pop kiss history there. My colleague appears to be uh, familiar with the case. I suspect he may well be an accomplice, and uh, you should arrest him forthwith. And they never found the plates he used. All the bodies. Beaker, do you suppose that's what Steindorf is after? Hey, Doc, Professor, I've got it. What, Mike? Those mountains. Looks like the sleeper range, some 20 miles across the Mexican border. Huh. We flew over them on that Amazon trip. Oh, uh, yes. we mentioned a previous episode there. This formation. Hurrah. The figure of an incumbent man. I mean, it's vague enough that it could be anything, but uh, the second episode of the show in production order was Amazonian Adventure. Was Hasler was in 1929. He must have buried the plates there. But where exactly? When they went off to uh, to the jungle to save Mitch, they had to find Tlogai, I seem to remember. This must be the place. Ah, so they found the spot in the desert that Hassler's painting seems to indicate, because of course, it may have been mentioned and I've probably waffled over it, some buried counterfeit plates, I think. It's not treasure, it's counterfeit plates. In the situation, as I see it. Aha. <laughs> Hush, Mitch. I beg your pardon, uh, uh, gentlemen and Mitch. 
I was also not counting uh, Jimmy in either of those phrases. Yes, it's, it's Beaker is giving a briefing now. He's got a blackboard out with a, a pointing stick and everything. 1929 was, according to the professor, the date of Hassler's capture, not far from this spot. Again, Mitch is listening so intently. Legible date falling from the calendar here. We deduce that this picture holds the answer to the riddle. So? What is the answer? Well, I, I suggest the best plan is to um, visit the scene of the crime. Uh, we are sure to find uh, some kind of uh, pointer. Hmm. There was an odd piece of what looked like cloth poking up from the bottom of the screen there as Mike was talking. I'm not sure what that's about. We dig beneath it. Oh, no. That would be too easy. Hasler no, you'll dig beneath it. enough to do that. So he used the shadow. The Shadow? Yeah! Now look. Supreme Headquarters Alien Defense Organization? Pointing arm. Oh, no, the Shadow of the Cactus, it points like a finger. 25 after 1, the Shadow Hand shows us where to dig! Ingenious! Yeah, Hasler was no fool. So get moving, huh? Yeah, there it is again. I can see light coming through Jody's mouth. And you go take a look around for the I suppose it could be teeth. What, uh, what me, um, by, my, by myself? Division of labor, pal. I'm saving my strength for the digging. Uh -huh. uh, uh, let me see now. They'll be digging there presumably at the hour shown in the picture, namely uh, 1,325 hours. Yeah, and it's gone 12 already. Ooh. Climb aboard. We haven't even had lunch yet. Good luck, Dr. Beaker. Start off, Jimmy. <laughs> Ready when you are, Mike. Hold it. Doc's just coming aboard. Steady there. Okay, Professor. <laughs> oh, that's a very that's a very nice way of getting Beaker into supercar without showing it. Just have Mike narrate it. That that little easy there. It's just so that adds so much. That's very good. Again, that's the kind of things that the Woodhouses were doing in all their scripts. Just the attention to detail and and reality. Um. And I know the Andersons and, and everyone else was always sort of intent on how do we bring these puppets to life. They were more interested in, in doing that technically. What can we show them doing? Whereas the Woodhouses were like, they would do what they did just there, slip in a, a nice little bit of dialogue. Very nice. Oh God, Jimmy's looking up at the opening roof doors like God's about to come in. Open and she's all yours. Selecting vertical takeoff now. That's it. Supercar's up. There's a bit of a wobbly takeoff there. I have to assume there's somebody holding it at each end. At each end. There's no way that um, puppet scale supercar is on wires. Oh, Jody! 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 No, I, I've been right around in a circle and, and the cactus just isn't there. What? Perhaps it died. Thirty years is a long time. Jody was uh, just sleeping while Steindorf's doing all the work, and he's doing all the work in jacket, waistcoat, and bow tie. North of the border. Even though you know we're in the Mexican desert and they're sweating profusely. And if we keep going according to the last flight plan, you should hit the spot with some accuracy. Oh, Jimmy rose, raised his hand there as if he was about to say something, and it cut away. Oh, that was a nasty turn, Mike. Thank goodness. In fact, it gave me a, a nasty turn, too. Sorry, Doc. 
But we gotta make time if we're gonna beat Steindorf to the plates. Oh, I hardly think you need worry unduly about Steindorf. It, uh, it just occurs to me that uh, he can't possibly find the plates. What do you mean, Baker? He's got the canvas, hasn't he? The canvas, yes. But uh, not necessarily the picture. For Pete's sake, if you're so dumb you can't find it with your own eyes, then maybe the picture will tell us where the cactus is. Oh, they buried the picture. Or the picture has become buried in sand. And of course, remember, Beaker sprayed his solvent on it. No! Oh, no! So there's no painting left. So, I imagine Mr. Steindorf has found, uh, uh, somewhat to his chagrin, the effectiveness of my solvent. Yeah. Well, we'll soon know. Yeah, how much money did I spend on this painting that I sprayed with solvent and then let get steel, by the way? Whoa, that's a fairly uh, dramatic dip there from Supercar. First no cactus and now no picture. It's not my fault. Of course it's your fault. If you hadn't unloaded it on that doctor guy, oh, dear. have it and the plates. Why? They've all been foiled by Beaker. Dig, anyway. Dig up a whole desert? If that's the way you want it, you stay. Again, more great performance from Graydon Gould there, and that's not even Mike. You! Why couldn't you have been a, a plain, ordinary, fake Rembrandt? Ooh! And that's it. Our two villains walk out of the story to that little boom-boom-boom drum sting that you get in Supercar sometimes. Hide us a sleeper, eh? Okay, Professor. Hang on, Doc. Here we go. Whoa, another dramatic dip. Oh, wait a moment. Uh, there's a range over there, uh, about uh, seven, uh, eight miles off. That's it. Cutting to half boot. If I were you, I would come in from a, a slight southwesterly direction. Uh, that will, uh, if I may coin a phrase, uh, put us in the picture. <laughs> I made a funny there. Not a very big funny, but a funny all the same. Well, it's more than Jimmy could do. Ah, oh, there's the painting. Like the birds have flown, Doc. Uh, true. But ah, but of course, Beaker brought... Well, he brought his umbrella, and he brought the print of the painting. Uh, could we find it, do you suppose? Like how, for instance? Well, uh, having deduced during the course of our journey the meaning of the shadow at the precise... Uh, this is quite involved, actually, for a, a kid's show plot. Simulate a cactus. What? Oh, cactus and the shadow and the mountains and the plates... Again, great, great work from the Woodhouses, um, who were always so confident that kids were, were intelligent enough to follow all this. If uh, the length of the mountain shadow is... Especially with Beaker's, uh, Beaker's intelligence. Ah, he's making some calculations in the sand. Factory. Most satisfactory. Uh, the cactus would have been about uh, your height, Mike. So, if you would kindly... Oh, terrific. Lucky me. With your arms, just so. <laughs> the things I do for you, Doc. And you wouldn't catch this, I don't think, in any other Anderson Super Mario Nation show. One of the lead characters is forced to pretend to be a cactus, but that's just the nature of Mike's relationship with Beaker. And of course, they brought shovels and hat for digging, and they found the plates. And they've taken them home. Are these really counterfeit plates, Professor? Uh, no, Jimmy, we just dug them up for the hell of it. What the hell do you think we're doing? Interested in them? Just as the police will be interested in Mr. 
Beindorf. Yeah, I don't mm. suppose he'll be in the painting business for a while. Will you be sorry, Doc? Not at all. As a matter of fact, having observed that photographs are somewhat more durable than paintings, I'm thinking of giving up art altogether. Oh, hey. Hmm. Getting into photography. I'm, I'm not sure that's an episode we had. Oh, oh really? Uh, what uh, kind of painting? Ah, Mike's hired a, a promising young artist to make Beaker a painting. <laughs> and there he is. Even wearing a little, uh, a little artisty hat. It's quite good, actually. Well, that was Supercar, a little art. And uh, I suppose your um, your fondness for that one kind of depends on your fondness, really, for Supercar, and particularly early Supercar, where there isn't much going on in the action side of things, but there's a lot of there's just a lot of clever characterization and, and clever plotting by the Woodhouses. <laughs> Two really nice guest characters, and uh, in, in uh, Jody and Steindorf, and as I say, it's it's quite unusual that there is no final sort of confrontation between them and the supercar team. They just give up with the whole sorry mess and go home. Um, presumably, they got arrested off screen, but yeah, some really nice character stuff there. Particularly, as always, between Beaker and Mike, it really uh, emphasises the. Uh, the, the, the strength of their relationship, which is just one of the highlights of Supercar. So, yeah, all in all, I would say one of the earliest highlights of Supercar. Ah, oh, well, Supercar! It's, yes, all right, Mike Supercar. Mercury. Uh, what? <laughs> yes, of course. Oh, I should tweet that picture again, shouldn't I? <laughs> yes, all <laughs> that TikTok that you and I did many, many moons ago. Yes. When TikTok wasn't even really a thing, no, was it? No, and we just messed around and since then they pulled the audio from it so that ah, now it's just right. you and I in silence making ourselves look like <laughs> Mike Mercury and Moid. I mean... Oh, brilliant. Okay. How ridiculous. Yeah. Anywho, thank you, Chris. Chris yes. will be back next week with another randomizer. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Richard James, would you like to mm. do a Fab Live at the end of this month? At the end of this month? Yeah, the end of yeah, September. What? That would be fun. Yeah, where, where, did you have anywhere in mind? We could do it at the Moxie again, or you come to mine. Ah, oh, right. Well, either of those would be great. Okay, Because if yeah. we did it at mine, we could go for a curry afterwards. Actually, if we did it at the Moxie, we could go for a curry it's afterwards. It's absolutely we could, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, either or, yeah, that's good. Let's do that. Okay, Fab Live plus curry on the 30th of September. Yeah, brilliant. Good, okay. Is that in aid of anything in particular? Well, it's Thunderbirds Day, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Obs. Great. You know. Yeah, of course so, it is. There we go. Good. Nice. All right. Excellent. Uh, very, very good. Uh, uh, that's the end of this one, isn't it? Or do we, is, you got yeah. more to say? No, I think I have no more to say. Oh, no, I'm totally out of things to say, yeah. Yeah, totally. exactly. I've run out of words. Good. Me too. Well, thank you, Podstrons, for listening in. It's always a joy to be in your ears. Thank you for having us in them. Um, we will mm -hmm. return to those clammy auditory crevices next week <laughs> with your permission. Right. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh dear the CACs yeah <laughs> brilliant everything has to have, yeah. it have to have it has to have a three letter acronym doesn't it exactly. anyway uh, enough TLAs and CACs it's been FAB to speak to you <laughs> TTFN FYI um, I'll see you next time yeah bye bye <laughs> Let's go.
C Y S E I A. Can you say everything in acronyms? N I D T T I P. No, I don't think that's possible. Oh, A I T T I A Q. Yes, actually, I, I think, think it's quite simple. quite simple. Okay, yeah, no, I was yeah, kind of getting yeah. that. It's hurting my brain, yeah. though, and I really don't have yeah, yeah, I know. the energy no, I, for, for your I'm nonsense. Sure. <laughs> no, no, that's fair enough. I mean, you could have, you should have said that on day one, really. Oh, you? I but know, and now it's too late. We've, we've come in too far, but um, <laughs> uh, yes. No, a lovely bit of uh, um, ac- acronymity there. Acronymity? Yeah. Not, ac- not, not acronymity, that's... acronymity. Uh, I don't I don't even know anymore. <laughs> Shall we just go? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's just go. Have a great afternoon. I'll say bye. Bye. B B F N. UFO. Oh. You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production.